It's always an honor to be here for two primary reasons. One, I love Christian Newsom. Uh, your pastor is a one-of-a-kind guy. I first met him about eight years ago. He was in the planning stage for planting this church, and he was teachable and coachable and followable. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. And he was scared spitless. And it was this great combination of qualities that just made me think, this is an exceptional young man that God's going to use in exceptional ways, and he has. So I am a Christian Newsom fan, and when he calls, I come running. So I'm here today because of Christian, but I'm also here today because of you. And I said this to you in August, I will say it to you every time I am here. You are a rare church. For how old a church you are, you are bigger than you ought to be. You are better than you ought to be. You have more influence than you ought to have, and it's a God thing. He has chosen to honor you and to raise you up and to bless you. And I know that part of the reason for that is you, because Scripture tells us when we honor God, he honors us. But I'm excited for what God is doing in you and through you in this community. And I think it's going to be fun what he, what he, to watch what he does in the years ahead. So I'm looking forward to being a fan of a Journey Church for a long, long time. I also bring greetings from my church. I'm part of Restore Community Church. Troy McMahon is our lead pastor and uh, I love those guys. They send their greetings and gave me permission to come and to hang out with you today. I'll be planting a new church with them in uh, the spring. We'll be planting Restore Community Church in West Shawnee. And you folks know that us heathens over in Kansas need all the help we can get. So if you know anybody over in the southwest part of town, send them our way. We're looking forward to uh, that new church being planted and, and God continuing to bless in the way that he does. My wife loves Christmas. I think she starts Christmas shopping on July 4th. She and my daughter go out on Black Friday to finish and get the last two or three things on their Christmas list. They are Christmas planners. They are Christmas promoters. Part of it is because my wife grew up in such a poor home that there were many Christmases where they had no gifts and had no celebration, but she goes nuts, and she has always done this. She does it now with all six of our grandkids, our two kids, the two adults they married. We count all of those as our chickens and grandchickens. She goes crazy. But when our kids were small, we worked out a system where my wife, Mary, was in charge of the toys the kids got at Christmas, and I would get them tools. I would get them tools. And I just kind of had this philosophy that if you gave a kid tools, not plastic tools, real tools, and showed them how to use them, you had a lot of fun because you got to spend time with them, you got to coach them with the tools, you got to build things together and do things together. And I've got to say that 30 years later, my kids are now 32 and 35, my 32-year-old daughter can fix about anything. I did not think she was paying attention. She was. And my 35-year-old son is a general contractor. 
There's furniture that he's built in my house. There's cabinets he's built in my house. There's shelving he's built in my garage. In fact, at this point in life, if I start to build something, his mother calls him and says, son, get over here. Your dad's going to hurt himself. <laughs> and he shows up and he rescues me. So this, this tool thing has become part of being a Sutherland. I want you to blow that up a thousand times bigger into the spiritual realm. Before the world was ever created, the Trinity held a planning meeting. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And the God the Father, I could just hear him saying, why don't we create a world where we'll have men and women and we'll put them in charge of the rest of that world and and, uh, we'll teach them and they can love us and they can follow us and and we can fellowship and hang out with them and it'll be awesome. We'll give them free will. We'll give them the ability to choose good or bad and that way we'll know if they're really choosing us or rejecting us. And I can just see Jesus the Son saying, that's a great plan, but you know if you give them free choice, they're going to mess up. So we need to make a plan to redeem them, to bring them back to us. So how about after they've messed up the world pretty good, I'll go down there and I'll be one of them and I'll live among them and I'll show them what God looks like and I'll show them what it means to follow you. And and, Father, I'll even show them the way to salvation. I'll pay the price for their sins. I'll go to a cross and I'll, I'll pay the penalty and, and then I'll be raised from the dead to prove that I'm God. And I can just hear the Spirit going, this plan rocks. But Jesus, after you get back to heaven, they're going to need somebody to help them. So I'll go and I'll live inside of every one of those Christ followers. And I'll hang out there so that I can teach them and guide them and give them the tools they need to do the work we're calling them to do. I'll even stick around and show them how to use those tools. And I can just see the Father going, I'm in, and the Son going, I'm in, the Spirit going, I'm in. Woo! That meeting took place. Several times in Scripture, it tells us that this was all planned out before the world was ever spoken into existence. One of those places is our passage today in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. This is one of my favorite passages. I will say that every time I come because I have about 100 favorite passages. But listen to this one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let me stop right there. This passage says we are saved by grace, not saved because we deserve it, not saved because we earn it, not saved because we're good enough. It's got nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. We are all equally sinners, but let's have a little fun today. You feel like telling somebody off, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a sinner, you're a bigger one. (laughs) Go ahead and tell them. Yeah, yeah, that works. It's kind of fun. We are all equally sinners. But the scripture says we are God's handiwork. Now, the word handiwork means poem or piece of work. Turn to your neighbor now and say you're a real piece of work. (laughs) That's biblical humor, guys. You could do this. Created in Christ Jesus, don't miss this, to do good works. Why were we created? To do good 
works, which God prepared in advance. There's that advanced meeting for us to do. We're in a series called Supernatural. We're looking at the Trinity and the part of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. We understand God the Father pretty well and God the Son we kind of get, but God the Spirit is a little bit difficult for some of us to wrap our minds around, and yet I believe we're more dependent on the Spirit of God than we are on the Father or the Son for guidance and help in our everyday lives. We have been talking about who He is and what He does. This is week three. Christian asked me to talk about the Spirit as the one who helps us. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the one who helps you serve, the Spirit of God, the one who helps you serve. And if you're a note taker, here's the first thing that I'd like to invite you to write down. The Holy Spirit helps us serve through spiritual gifts, in other words, through tools that he gives us for us to be able to do the work he's called us to do. Scripture says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, what does he help us to do? He helps us to do the work of Jesus. What is the work of Jesus? The work of Jesus is serving. In fact, Jesus is all about service. There were several times in the Gospels where the disciples are fighting about who's in charge. Now, they all know Jesus is in charge, but they're fighting over who's in second place and third place. And if you get a group of men together, they hang out long. They need a pecking order. They need to know who's the boss and who's the next boss and who's the boss after that. And in this group, there were a lot of choices. Was the boss Peter, who seemed to talk all the time? Uh, Was the boss the, the people who took care of the money, which would have been Judas or Matthew? The accountants, were they the boss? Or or was the boss the young brothers? And the young brothers were brazen enough that they came to Jesus, James and John, and said, would you put us in charge? We'd like to be the big dogs among the disciples. We'd like to sit at your right hand and your left hand. It's a very Jewish way of saying, you're the boss. We'd like to be second and third. And Jesus did an interesting thing. He did not correct them for wanting a place of influence. That's interesting. He did not correct them for wanting a place of influence. That's a good thing. He told them how. He said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Yeah, Jesus, that's cool. We're into the service thing, but we want to be in charge. We'd like to be your your right-hand person and your left-hand person. And Jesus goes on to say to them, don't you understand? I didn't come to be in charge. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to lay down my life for others. Don't miss this. Followers of Jesus are always servants. We're always servants. To follow Jesus means to do what Jesus does and obey what Jesus taught. He is a servant and he teaches us to serve. In fact, followers walk into every arena of their lives with this question. How can I serve in this circumstance? How can I serve in this room? What can I do to help in this situation? I've had some great encounters today. In the first service today, Kenny Copta came by. Kenny is a a friend for many, many years. He's been part of a fire group that I have led on Sunday nights. And Kenny is one of the best servants 
I have ever known. If he sees something that needs to be done, he doesn't even ask permission. He just does it. I haven't bought firewood at my house in five years. Because every time Kenny sees my fire stack getting low, he comes in like a thief in the night and fills it up. He's the firewood fairy. He came over to see me one Sunday night last winter in our fire group. It was raining and cold outside, so we met in my garage instead of out around the fire pit. And I have a couple of these high gas heaters that run on propane. One of them wasn't working. Before the next Sunday night came, he came early and lets himself into my garage. And I walk out, and he's got the heater in 100 pieces. I'm saying, Kenny, what are you doing? Well, your heater was broken. I'm fixing it, Kenny. I didn't ask you to fix it. You didn't have to ask me. I saw it. I wanted to do it. A servant is somebody who lives with wide open eyes saying, how can I serve? That is the mindset of a Christ follower. It is the mindset of Jesus. I got served by a six-year-old in the second service today. I was sitting there in the front row, and I turned around and met her before the service started. And she stuck out her hand and said, I'm Mallory, I'm six and a half. And I said, hi, Mallory, six and a half, how are you? And we began talking, she was drawing pictures. And she said, could I draw a picture for you? I said, yeah. So she drew me a picture. Is that cool? That's going on my refrigerator. Why? Because my grandkids don't fill up my refrigerator? Oh, no, they fill it up. Because I'm impressed with any six-year-old that will talk to an adult reach out to an adult and say, can I do something for you? That is the mindset of a servant. They are not about themselves. They are always about others. The Spirit of God helps us serve through spiritual gifts. Second thing I'd like you to write down, the power of the gifts is in their purpose. The power of the gifts is in their purpose, which again is to serve one another. God does not give you a spiritual gift so you can show off. He does not give you a tool so that you can create something and go, hey, look at what I did. No, it's not about us. It is always about others. Look at the scripture. A spiritual gift, a a tool, if you will, is given to each of us. Why? So we can be in the middle of attention. Nope. So we can show off. No. So we can serve each other. The gift is not about you. Now, I grew up in a church where I didn't really see that. We only had one person that was gifted enough to speak in our church. They did all the speaking. We only had one person that could sing. They did all the singing. We had one person that was about half gifted at playing the piano, and she played it very, very poorly. I mean, it was torturous. That was our setting, and it kind of looked to me like if you had a gift, you got up front. That's not it. Some of the best servants of all are behind the scenes. They're using their gifts to serve others. Let me talk about the gifts in my family so you'll see how this works. I have a gift of teaching. My parents tell me that I did not have a first word. I had a first paragraph. I came out of the womb talking. I talked to myself. I answer it myself. I drive down the road talking to God, and if you've seen me drive, you're glad that I'm talking to God. I talk to trees. I talk to animals. I have imaginary conversations. I get imaginary answers. I talk. 
It is a gift. It is not hard for me to do. It is not difficult for me to do. I have a gift of teaching. Is that gift for me? No. In fact, when I listen to myself speak, I go, that's awful. Can't somebody fix this guy's accent? If you're from Texas, you have to sound this way. You just do. It's not for me. The gift is for others. It's not about me. It's about helping others. My wife has an even bigger gift of teaching, but also has an amazing gift of writing. What she can write down just makes the the difficult things of life seem very, very simple. The the deep things of God get very, very comprehensible when she writes about them. And she writes for a devotion site called Girlfriends in God. It's the largest women's devotional site in the world. They have a million and a half daily followers. That's crazy. I keep telling her, would you just charge $1 a year? I can do this math. Just $1 a year. Nope, got to give it away. To give away for free. And the cool part is that I met a lady this morning. In fact, I met one before the first service and before the second who walked up and said, you're the Dan Sutherland that's married to Mary Sutherland, the, the one who writes Girlfriends of God? Yeah, I am. Oh, your wife is awesome. What is that about? That's about her using her gift to serve others. My son that I've already mentioned has a gift of making things with his hands. That is his gift. It is how he blesses others. My daughter has the gift of hospitality. She can host us anything. She had 60 kids and parents from her soccer club at her house last night. She thought it was great. To me, that sounds like purgatory. (laughs) But she had nine-year-old kids coming up to her last night saying, Coach Dana, I've never been to my coach's house before. This is really cool. Thank you for doing this. She's using her gift to bless others. The Spirit of God has put a gift inside of you for you to use it to bless others. Not just to use it to make money, not just to use it to make a living, not just to use it to bless you and your family, to use it to bless others. Third thing I'd like you to write down. This is important. Saved people serve people. Saved people find a way to serve people. The scripture tells us, Paul tells us repeatedly, serve one another in love. I believe if you're a Christ follower, you serve. And I'm going to go farther because the great part is I'm going home after this service today and getting on an airplane and flying to Chicago. And if y'all are upset about what I've said, that's great. Take it up with Pastor Christian. I believe Christ followers are servants. And I believe if you're not a servant, you're not a Christ follower. A follower is somebody who does what the leader does and obeys what the leader teaches. Jesus laid down his life in service. He taught service. So when I find people who claim to be Christ followers, but they sit on their spiritual backside and do nothing, I have serious doubts that they're Christ followers. Because if Christ is in you, he's going, get up, do something, get off your bodiggity, it's time, get involved. 
In the average church in America, studies show us that 15 to 20% of the people of the church do all the work, which means that 80 to 85% do all the consuming. Did Jesus die for us to be consumers? Or did he die for us to be contributors? Yes, it's about our salvation, but after our salvation, it's about us serving him by serving others. When I left Westside Church about six months ago, there were several churches in town that said to me, hey, Dan, come help us plant churches. Come be the old man for our young church planters. I love being the old man planting churches in this town. It means I get to be the dad and the granddad to folks like Christian and folks even younger that are doing such a great job. I love what I do. But I had several chances to go to several churches and do that. I chose Restore Community Church for two reasons. One, they've planted 43 churches in 10 years. They're a 10-year-old church that's planted 43 churches. They're serious about multiplying disciples and leaders in churches. I love that. But the other reason I went there is because in 2017, 55% of those who attend their weekends also served in some way. There are more folks there in the trenches than there are on their backsides. Wonder why God is blessing. What would happen if Journey Church was a church 100% full of people who serve? This whole community would know you as those crazy people who do everything. Those people who volunteer for everything. Those people who show up for everything. You can't get away from them. They're taking over the city. Yeah. In the name of Christ, they're serving. Jesus said, your community's going to know you by your love, and they're going to know your love by how you serve, by how you serve. So it's going to get even plainer. Fourth thing I'd like you to write down. If you're a Christ follower, you are a minister. Now, most of us are not comfortable with the language I'm about to use, but let me just go for it anyway. According to Scripture, if you are a Christ follower, if you have given yourself to Jesus, you are a pastor, a priest, a minister, and a missionary. Now, some of you are going, nope, 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 not me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a priest. I'm no minister. I'm no missionary. I want to demonstrate this for you. To do it, I need to come down here. This is an important theological principle that I hope you will grab and hang on to. It will change your life. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's level. We are all equally sinners at the foot of the cross. No sinner is worse than another. We all equally need salvation at the foot of the cross. None of us can earn it or deserve it. And we are all called to serve Jesus as pastors and priests and ministers and missionaries. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. 
Pastor Christian has no secret passageway to God that only he can use and the rest of us don't have access to. No. I have equal access to God with anybody that's ever lived, and so do you. Because we're all pastors, we're all priests, we're all ministers, we're all missionaries. And God's plan before the foundation of the earth was for all of us to receive the salvation he offers by grace, not of ourselves, and to do the work he's called us to do as pastors and priests and ministers and missionaries. Look at Isaiah 61.6. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. Not my words. God says you're a priest. God says you're a minister. So what do we do with that? Fifth thing to write down and we're done. Find your parish and start serving. Find your parish. Never thought you'd hear that word at church, did you? Your parish. What's a parish? It's your group of people for you to pastor, for you to be their priest, for you to be their minister, their missionary. The guys that are in my discipleship group, my fireside group that hangs out on Sunday nights, let me tell you about some of those guys in their parish. Brad is in my group. Brad is an upper-level manager at Sprint. His parish is the other upper level managers at Sprint. And from what he tells me, they need Jesus. And he has access to them that I will never have. He has relationship with them. He works with them. He's their pastor. He's their minister. He's their missionary. Their hope of coming to faith in Christ is Brad, not me. It's Brad. Another guy in my fireside group is a coach at one of the high schools in the Park Hill District. He's a new Christ follower. And his eyes are lighting up because I'm saying to him, you get to be so much more than a football coach. You get to teach life to these boys. You get to model Jesus for these boys. You are their pastor. You are their priest. You're their minister. You're their missionary. You have access to them I will never have. He's going, yeah. Yeah, I do. My wife has found a new parish. She goes once a week to a nail and hair salon. It's an expensive parish. She's been going there for years. But because she goes as a pastor and a priest and a missionary and a minister, she's led the Vietnamese lady who leads that hair salon to faith in Christ. My wife says you've got a captive audience when they're working on your nails for 30 minutes. The Spirit of God has gifted you and will help you serve whoever your parish is. The question is, will we say yes to that parish? God's plan to change the spiritual landscape of Lee Summit is not for all of Lee Summit to show up on Sunday at Journey Church. It's for all 
of Journey Church to show up 24-7 in Lee Summit and be the pastors and the priests and the missionaries and the ministers. The one who helps us serve is available. Let's pray together.